the question that never came out of my mouth, not once to anybody, not even the closest person to me at the time, was, what do you think about me moving to Korea? I didn't ask one person what they thought. I didn't ask one person if they thought it was a good idea. I didn't even ask anybody for advice. This was a decision that I knew was so crazy, insane. I'm leaving a good paying job with a really fast growing company that I've helped build. I have stock and warrant. We have an investment arm that we're building. We've already invested in two companies. Like nobody in their right mind would have told me to move. And so the question I never asked was, what do you think? And I'm not saying people shouldn't ask for advice, but usually asking for advice is just opening the door for someone just to tell them why everything isn't going to work. Hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Job Title podcast. I'm your host, Cesar Romero, and this is the podcast where we share the journeys of successful, underrepresented tech founders, executives and professionals. And we dive into their personal development journeys and career insights that have fueled their success. So whether you're seeking inspiration, mentorship, or actionable strategies to advance your career, this is your go-to resource podcast. My guest for this episode is my good old friend, Maria Joyner. And this is a conversation about her entrepreneurial journey stepping outside her comfort zone, questioning things, moving her entire life to Costa Rica in the, in the pursuit of a more balanced lifestyle, taking leaps of faith towards the life you want, and just overall a podcast about what it takes to create change and personal transformation in your life. I really enjoyed this, this conversation with Maria and just a little bit of a disclaimer we recorded this this episode back in november of 2022 but for personal reasons i ended up not uh, going forward with that podcast project so i put this on the shelf for a couple months and then in may i decided to fully commit to the podcast and i remember hey I, i have this great conversation with maria and i want to publish it so i reached out to her and she gave me the okay and i finally got to it and man just going through it i feel inspired to uh, question things and stepping outside my comfort zone i hope that if you listen to this episode after you after you listen to the episode you feel inspired to seek your own personal transformation wherever you are in your life and please Before I forget, if you find value from this episode, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in. And here's my conversation with Maria Joyner. Maria, welcome to the podcast. It's it's a pleasure to have you, old friend. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for us to dive deeper into your own journey of personal transformation and yeah, hoping that we can inspire other people to look for their own transformation as well. But yeah, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Caesar. Super happy to be here today. Absolutely. And before we, we dive into it, for people who are not familiar with your background, let's set the, the context on 
your background and your career. And I always like to ask my guests, how did you get into marketing technology and being an entrepreneur? What were some of the, like some of the science or some of the key, key decisions that led you to pursue that as a career? So the entrepreneur journey definitely started as a young child. Both of my parents had businesses or my father had his own business essentially from the time I was born. And then my mom worked in a marketing agency and eventually went out on her own and had her own agency as well. Seeing both sides of entrepreneurship from my parents, the good, which is, hey, we want to stay an extra day on vacation and we can because we own our companies and the bad literally walking out to door vacation and my dad getting a call. He was an electrician getting a service call and our vacation being having to be postponed two days. So I saw like the flexibility of it and then also some of the downsides and challenges of it. But from a young age, I really didn't know anything else. Mm. And so that was the first piece of the entrepreneur journey. As I got older, this whole concept of working for a set amount of money that you really can't change and doing that for many years just to make a little bit more money the next year, just that whole concept of a career path, it just didn't really feel right to me. So I think that from a young age, I was already maybe primed to be an entrepreneur. And I just, from a young age, also really questioned the, you know, the traditional path that we're taught. What made you question that? Because typically we, I grew up with parents who are, are also entrepreneurs, you know, but my path is a little different because they, and for some reason, they didn't want me to be an entrepreneur. So they were like, you know, oh, you go to college, right? You get, get a job. I'm just curious if there was something innate in you or if, if, if you picked up signs along the way, you know, as you moved throughout your education, you know, college. So I think my, the first memory that comes to mind is when I was a child, I don't know, seven, eight years old, my dad used to pay me to organize like parts for electrical panels in his shop. And so I would have to take these parts and for every part I took that was in a big pile and organize it, I got something like 10 cents a part. And I was like, this blows. I don't want to be the person this. I want to be the person, my dad, who's telling me to do this. So I think that was one of the first memories I had to come to. Like, I don't want to work for somebody and do this boring job or this like poor pay. He wasn't exploiting child labor. He was trying to teach me, obviously, how to be a good employee. But I think yeah. I guess it <laughs> so I remember that. And then, you know, I was, my parents definitely fed me the, this is the path. You have to get straight A's, not straight A's, but straight 100s. Mm -hmm. So and you do all these extra, extracurricular activities so you can get into a good college and get a scholarship. And then after you get into a good college, you're going to get a good job. And, you know, so I definitely was, I mean, not just my parents, but that's what we're fed. So I definitely bought into that. And then sometime in my teenage years, I became a punk rocker. I love it. It wasn't really that, that, that was a change, but it's just, it was the act of starting to question everything I had been told by society in the punk movement is question everything to yeah. extreme degrees and all the way to anarchy. And I definitely didn't go that far in, in my beliefs, but just being exposed to the ability to question things was really pivotal to me. And I really started to realize this isn't the only path. I was probably 14 years old. I think like, this isn't the only path that I've been presented. And so that was another pivotal thing, just questioning 
everything that I had been taught. That really influenced my thinking a lot. And then the third thing was, um, I was an academic. I got straight 100s and I always thought that, that was the path I was going to go down. And somewhere later in, it was in high school, I started to realize that in academia, it's really a, um, a discipline of teaching people what is right and wrong, mm. what is a fact and what's not a fact. And I started really to question that because whoever writes the history books writes the history. Like yeah. what I think is a fact, you might not think is a fact. Right. Um, and so I started questioning that and I just kind of was like, why would I even go down that route? And so I went to another extreme and decided to apply to go to art college instead of going down the academic route. And our college was definitely sort of the, the final nail in the coffin for anything that would have been a semblance of a normal, you know, go to college and build a mm -hmm. career and all that. Because in art school, they teach, and if you go study a discipline, if you go, to, if you go study how to be a surgeon, they teach you exactly how to do the brain surgery. You know, they're not like, hey, go figure this out. You know exactly what you're doing. There's a lot of precision there. Yeah, you have to. I, much more difficult career path and so much more time and energy goes into that. So this may not be the best example. But surgeon, you go to art school and they teach you or try to teach you, empower you to make something out of nothing. Mm. It's hard to have a completely blank slate and decide where to put that first line or how to or might even have a piece of paper, have a material like, a, like clay or wax and how to make something out of nothing. And so I think that in a lot of ways, my desire to go to follow the, the art school path was much more aligned with making something out of nothing and learning how to do that in a way that wasn't comfortable to me. I wasn't, I'm not naturally talented as a painter. I can't draw very well. I studied yeah. photography and sculpture was really more of that making something out of nothing yeah. um, that I was intrigued about. But yeah, so that's the different things that kind of led me to where I am today. I love it. I love that from a young age, you're, you question everything. And I think that's probably one of the most important skill sets that we can teach our kids as they venture. Because <laughs> you, you have a young son, I have a young daughter. Uh, and the world that they're going to live in when they're annual, 15, 18, man, it's going to be so different, especially with the disruption of AI and everything that's coming their ability to question things, right? And to use their creativity to make something out of nothing. I think it's going to be crucial. Did you ever get to a point where you question either pursuing the path of, you know, marketing technology or entrepreneurship? Did you ever come across a point where you were like, I've done this and maybe I should turn something else. Maybe I should pivot. Absolutely. So I went to art school while I was still in college. I started a photography business because, you know, I didn't want to be one of those people who got an art degree and didn't do art. I was very like, mm -hmm. this is probably my path. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to honor this. And I uh, started a photography business and then started taking shoots to figure out what I wanted to photograph. And I really enjoyed, there was a lot of it that I really enjoyed. You know, I did family shoots, maternity, newborn, a lot of portrait headshot work. And then I did other things like events and weddings and things that I didn't enjoy so much. And through the journey of the having photography business, things became really crystal. A couple of things became really crystal clear. In this business, the way that I was running it, I was literally going to be trading my time for money. Mm -hmm. So there will be no way for me to scale up or grow without me having to be fully involved. Mm -hmm. 
which is okay. I mean, plenty of times in my career, and I still probably would, I still probably would drive this, you know, you're not scalable thing home, but that's okay. But that wasn't the only thing. That was the first thing. The second thing was I was doing something that I really, truly loved for money and running a business a lot like that was involved with something I truly love was starting to affect the love I had for the art of photography. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I was the point where I would see my camera and I was just like, oh. so that was another piece. So that, and plenty, there are lots of artists who can do that and do that well. And I have so much admiration, but as a young entrepreneur and a young artist, it was just, it was not, it wasn't aligned for me. Mm-hmm. The third piece was I took a shoot I never should have taken. And, and I essentially, and what I learned from that, and I didn't, I was too young to know how to scope it, but essentially it was a shoot for, it was a corporate shoot for a company that the majority of the organization are women between the ages of probably 40 to 65. And it was do headshots for them. And so I scoped it. I gave them a good deal since it was a lot of people. It was going to be a green screen. So people coming in a couple of shots and done. What I didn't anticipate and what was newer when I was in college was the expectation that we all look airbrushed and perfect. So I scoped this deal or I scoped this project where I did headshots and I did it for a low rate because it was a corporate thing. And then I put in no specifications around editing. Like I didn't put in specifications that I would remove all your wrinkles and change the color of your shirt. I didn't put any post-processing in the contract. And that was a painful lesson because I left it out. It came up with every single woman I photographed because, I mean, at that age, you know, like we become a lot more aware of how we look. And it was just an awful project. I got through it. And that's when the whole like realization of where the photography industry was going. And this was late 2000s, like where the photography industry was going was much more towards these post-processing, airbrush, just what we have now. And this was more than 10 years ago. Yeah, probably about 10, 15 years ago. And we've seen over the past few years how that has changed. And now the movement now is, you know, trying to not be so airbrushed and be a little more representative. But that was kind of the final thing for me with photography. So I loved it. Like, I really love what I did. And my, the, the, the big challenge I had was I couldn't say no. So people, friends, colleagues knew my work. They'd be like, I want to do photo shoots. And I just, I couldn't say no to it. What am I going to say no to? So to actually close my company, I had to sell my camera. And then I was able to not just close my company, but stop accepting contracts. Because then I'd be like, I don't have a camera, but if you would like to rent me one and along with the shoot, then I'd be happy to do that. And that that eliminated, I would say, 95% of the people. And then the 5% who were willing to do that, you know, I did accommodate. (laughs) But in that photography journey, that was a long story. But in that journey, after all those realizations, social media had just emerged on the scene. And I was like, huh, that looks interesting. And I decided just to learn, just to dive in, learn it. And so I opened a social media marketing company in the late 2000s and That was my next market. That was my shift, my first shift into marketing, which I never swore I'd be in because I saw my mom run a marketing, like in a marketing agency and all the stress. But that was the first step into marketing was in the social media. And then from social, that social media, I got really involved in the Atlanta technology startup community. 
And from there, I started mentoring startups, joined one for a couple of years, had lots of growth, and then made a decision in 2015 to move to Costa Rica, which is where I live now. Let's pause there, because you mentioned something that you, growing up, you saw your mom with the marketing agency, and you saw the stress, and you swore that you couldn't do that to yourself. Now, on your, one of your more recent, your one of your recent LinkedIn posts, you share that what prompted you to move to Costa Rica was that you felt that you were out of balance. And you and I met, if I have my memory correctly, November 2015? 14. It was the trip 14. that, it was the trip that prompted the, or started the seed, planted the seed. Planted the seed. So yeah. what, Let's talk about the Maria before the move, right? What, what was happening in your life that you started to notice signs that your life was out of balance, right? And, and then what, what prompted you to say, hey, I'm going to go to Costa Rica and just to go on a trip, right? Let's dive into that. So I think looking back now, I could say that my life was out of balance. But at that time, I thought I had, I mean, I, in my mind, had built my dream life. Like when I traveled, when you and I met in November, 2014, I was working at a, it was, I was, it was my only salary position in my whole career. It was, I was working with a technology startup, an email deliverability startup, and I helped found and grow the company. And then I finally joined it um, as a VP of marketing and their growth hacker. And we were, we had an amazing year. We had hired a whole team of people. We, I think we were in the process of renovating and building out just a super amazing office for recruiting, great culture, you know, very startup-y culture, ping pong, you know, right. at 3, 3 and beer stock in the fridge. And I really enjoyed it. And I was able to do things that I enjoyed every day, wear lots of hats. I was able to work with the engineers and I was able to work with product. And that's what drove the marketing. So it was really great to be embedded in that. A friend of mine that had started that she started working for me as an intern at my previous marketing company, which was like it was Aqua Hired. So we came to join the startup. She came over to the startup with me. And so it was just this beautiful thing. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And and so that's I was like, so that's kind of that's how I felt in that mindset. So I get to Costa Rica in November 2014. And it'd be a cool trip. And we to this place called Rancho Margot, and it's this self-sustainable um, permaculture farm, essentially in the middle of the jungle. It's mm -hmm. uh, totally off the grid. No cell service, internet, solar power is not great internet. And I got off the shuttle there and I got, had this feeling, and it, it's going to sound a little crazy to explain, but I had this feeling that I look around, I just felt like my soul shake. It felt like I had come home, but like a home that I'd never known. It was just this. I was just like, what is going on? And that's just stepping off the shuttle around. I just, I was just, it was just this feeling. And I never felt like that ever before in my life, ever. And I was like, what was that? And so over the next five days, that feeling definitely didn't go away. And I just, I think what, I think I noticed that feeling, but I wasn't able to know what that was. But in my brain, the thing that started to really make me curious about Costa Rica and then coming back to this place in particular is just how everything worked. Like this farm where they host guests and they have to scale up their, they, the water, how they heat the hot water and the food production and 
if they raise the meat on site that they give to the guests, like, how do you even do that? Like, how do you even start an operation like this? So I had all these questions. And so I think my thinking brain was like, I want to come back to explore all these questions and to like look under the hood and see what's. But I think that thinking brain was being heavily influenced by this other feeling I had, but I didn't know how to identify that feeling I had. So I relied on, you know, the, this is the, this is why I want to come back. So if you remember, I don't know if you did, but on the last day of that trip, we did Rosebud Thorn, which is like my rose mm-hmm. of the day, the best thing, the thorn, which is kind of what, you know, sucked that day and the yeah, bud yeah. coming up. Yeah. I knew on that trip, if I didn't have the conversations and commit before I left Costa Rican soil to come back, that it wasn't going to happen ever. Mm-hmm. Like I had a super, super strong feeling that I have, no matter what it takes to figure out how to come back here. And so I told, I talked to the farm that we were staying at and they do a volunteer workaway program and I got all the details and the timeline and they were like, yeah, sure. Apply in February. You want to come in this month and yeah, go for it. And so I put that out there. It's the whole group that I was going to go back to Costa Rica <laughs> the next year. And I, I swear, even when I was saying it, I was like, man, no one in this room believes it. But I'm like, I know it's going to happen. And we did and you did, and, and, and you went back and you did that program for a couple of months, right? Yeah. And, and then after that, you moved permanently in January, 2016. And yeah. so what was it about that experience of doing that program, that volunteer program? What was it about the program or the experience that solidified your decision? You know what? I'm just going to move to Costa Rica. So I would say it was... The- the amount of time that I took to process the fact that I wasn't losing my mind and I wasn't totally crazy is really what it gave me. Um, I mean, I'm going to give you more specific examples, but really I came down here for supposedly a month, right? That was the deal. It was a month. We actually right. made a company-wide perk that anybody in the company could work anywhere in the world they wanted for the month of June, 2015. Yeah. And so I was like, I mean, I influenced this, obviously. I was super excited. and so. After even when I got there, I was in the I was in the volunteer, like the onboarding. And yeah. she's like, How long are you staying? And I was like, two months. And I was, I said two months, and I'm like, I am. Like that's what I said. And I was like, what? let's go with it. And I just, it was just this, I didn't even, I was only planning for a month. So I was down there the first month. And even in the first like week of being there, I just I'm like, this place is amazing. I can't ever imagine a life like this. I would love this to be my everyday life. And then over time, you know, I was there three months in total. Ended up, I mean, the last month I had to come back because a few things happened like financially. So I like had to get back, but I ended up saying three months. And I think the first month it was really like, this is cool. But then as I really got into the day to day, that's when the change started occurring. If I had a question for somebody, I couldn't text them or pick up the phone and call them. Like I would have to go find them. <laughs> Somewhere on the floor, I'd be like, hey, have you seen so-and-so? And walking around and find people and ask them questions. And I was just like, this is awesome. This is so great. I mean, it, and it, it, I could find, I could talk about how that can be annoying too, but I just got more and more, I just felt more and more in love with this whole idea of coexisting with nature and live in a place where we're building natural systems that work with, that work like with nature and I just became infatuated with this idea so much to where, like when I left Costa Rica to go back to the States, 
I was like, I want to, you know, I'm like, I want to build, I want to do my own project, you know, like I, this is what I want to do. This is like the, if you want to look marketing technology to permaculture, I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I think that whole entire experience and we had, there were just magical experiences during the whole entire visit. And when I say magical, I mean, things like in June, it rained for 22, like 22 days straight. And when it rained that much, everything was run by hydroelectric power while the hydroelectric generator got overrun. And they had to rewire the entire ranch in three days before a group of 70 people came. Or maybe it was like 50 people during this downpour. And so when I say magical, I don't necessarily mean, you know, like fun magical, but just so magical in a way to see everybody come together to accomplish a single goal, like working at night, this pouring down rain to get a new generator set up to accommodate these guests. and. So I definitely realized this wasn't going to be easy. You know, I bet this one of the things I knew was moving to Costa Rica wasn't going to be easy. But it was just incredible to see what goes into making even some of the village, even a, a really tiny community function on all elements. What were some of the conversations that, that you had with your family about your decision? Would you ever, like, scare of people not agreeing with your decision or having them put their fear onto you, whatever concerns that, that might have risen because of your decision? I can tell you the conversations I didn't have, and that may be easier. The conversation I never had, the question that never came out of my mouth, not once to anybody, not even the closest person to me at the time, was what do you think about me moving to I didn't ask one person what they thought. I didn't ask one person if they thought it was a good idea. I didn't even ask anybody for advice. This was a decision that I knew was so crazy, insane. I'm leaving a really good paying job with a really fast growing company that I've helped build. I have stock and warrant. We have a, an investment arm that we're building. We've already invested in two companies. Like nobody in their right mind would have told me to move. And so the question I never asked was, what do you think? And I'm not saying people shouldn't ask for advice, but usually asking for advice is just opening the door for someone just to tell them why everything isn't going to work. Yeah. I'm not no space for that with where I was. I had to hold space for other things. So that's the, the I never had those conversations. And I mean, both my, I had a long-term boyfriend at the time. He ended up not liking Costa Rica. So that ended, you know, and he moved with me, but left. But he came to visit and he was like, I've never been living in a country like this. And I was like, okay, I am still move with me. But that's, that was probably the closest person to me. When I told my parents, you might as well think that I was moving to a war zone. I think my dad was just like, what? And they, I mean, I, I imagine that my parents were probably, is, is she on drugs? Or is she like down there doing some crazy stuff? Like what is going on? Like how does, because it just was, seemed so out of nowhere because I was like, things were good. Like things were, you know, great. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed out of nowhere. And, but I knew I was, I had to be so firm in my decision that I knew that this was the right thing for me, no matter how crazy it seemed. Like I had a knowing that kept, that just allowed me to stay focused on that. I love that. So you knew deep in your soul that this was the right decision. And, and I can see how asking your family members or friends, your partner at the time, I can see how they can open up the door for them to plan out, not because they want to, but because they're projecting their own fears onto your decision. So 
I can see how asking that question, Hey, what do you think about moving to Costa Rica? And I can see how they can put doubts in your mind. So the, the fact that you were like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask the question. I'm just going to tell people, I'm just going to do it. But, and I think a lot of us are, are, are missing that conviction these days, having a conviction of, Hey, this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to try out. If it works great, if it doesn't, then at, at least I tried it. Um, but the worst thing you can do probably is when you get to 80, 90, and you look back and, and you say, man, I should have done that when I had the chance, right? That's probably one of the, one of the worst regrets you can have as a human. So the fact that you, that takes a little courage area. So you should definitely be proud of that. How was the first year, right? 2016, that, that full year, you know, what was, I guess, the most unexpected thing and then and the biggest lesson for you? Uh, that was a year. The move to Costa Rica. We left in early January. So we use Southwest because Southwest allows two free check bags. And we also, both of my animals are registered service animals. So we also were going to fly with them. So we needed all the check bags we could get. Plus, we wanted to pay to check more bags. So our plan was to fly Southwest, which from Atlanta always has a layover. So it was going to be Southwest from Atlanta to Baltimore and then Baltimore to Costa Rica. Everything was set up. I actually paid a friend of mine to fly with us so she could check more bags for us. So I was like, hey, I'll pay ticket to come to Costa Rica. The only there's two requirements. You pay for your return flight and you only bring a carry on. Mm -hmm. You can't. That's it. So those are the two requirements. And she agreed to that. So everything was set. And I think it was maybe, I think we were planning on leaving on a Saturday. And I think it was a Wednesday. Maybe it was a Tuesday or Wednesday before. So four days before. And somebody messaged me something about, hey, did you see the blizzard that's going to hit Baltimore? And I was like, what? And so we're getting ready to leave the country, leave the Homer. And we sold our cars. And I'm like, what do you mean the blizzard's going to hit Baltimore? And so I started doing some research and I'm like, oh my gosh, Baltimore is probably going to be shut down. So I'm like, nothing. There is nothing. We are the 90, like the last 10% is always the, it's always the hardest. You get 90% here and the last 10%. And I'm like, there is nothing in this world that is stopping me from land on Costa Rica. I'm like, there is nothing. So I had, so to tell you what we did, I called the girl, the my friend who flew down with me, and I'm like, look, there's been a change of plans. We're going to fly out of Houston instead of Baltimore. So you have an option. You can ride with us the 12 hours from Atlanta to Houston, all of our crap in the car and our animals, and then take the flight or I'll, I'll, I'll pay for you to fly to Houston. And she was so like taken aback by the whole change of situation. She told me, she said, I don't know if I can do this. I was like, oh my gosh. Last 10%. So... We got there. We went, we went with the car in the morning. So we had to drive 11 hours to Houston. We checked into a hotel. Didn't have a lot of budget for any of this. So we were staying at a really, like we were staying at the like Motel 8, I think. <laughs> really not nice hotel. And so we go to pick up the car the, that morning. And I go to pay and I realized I left my wallet at home. Oh, God. <laughs> All these things happened. We got to Houston. We got on the flight, no problem. We landed in Costa Rica. We rented the car. I drove from, where did we fly? I'm flown to Liberia. I drove from, yeah, we flew to Liberia. Anyway, I drove from Liberia to San Carlos and we were there and we got there. 
So even just getting here was a thing, but it really, I just really think it exercises the importance of that last 10%. You just got to, you just have to make it happen because everything's going to be happening that there's going to be, there's going to be things. And that was probably pretty good. So the first year we moved down here, before I moved here, I had already had a land shake, a handshake deal done for land that I was going to buy to start my own permaculture project. I had recruited two of the people that I worked with at Rancho Margot to come join me on this project and work for me. Wow. And, <laughs> and so I felt like I had everything like set, set, ready to go. Yeah. And so those people helped me make sure that I had a place to live when I moved here, that we had internet set up because my Spanish was not great at the time. And I mean, I, I knew enough, but I couldn't get on the phone and have a conversation. Like right. for me, the limits test for me when I first got to Costa Rica is can I have a conversation on the phone? If not, then I'm still not there yet. So help me do all these things. So we lived in almost a community setting, like a communal living situation for mm -hmm. the first lovely 10 months. So we had myself, my boyfriend, my two dogs, one of our team members, his girlfriend, and then the dog she got of it some, somewhere at that, in that, you know, that time frame, the other team member, and then occasional people who would come over to help cook or do other things. So it was a small house with a lot of people and a very small space, one bathroom. And so that caused, that was really difficult. There were a lot of issues um, with that. So, so that was something I probably will never do again. We learned a lot from that. It was cool. It was a fun experiment. We did cook. We did grow most of everything we ate chickens we had eggs and also chickens for meat and so we were really true to that principle of growing what we ate and reusing and recycling and a lot of the permaculture principles that taught really discuss how you plant your garden how you design your space so we actively implemented these principles and that was really amazing when we look at the biggest lesson learned i would say if you i mean i i would say if i had to boil it down to one lesson learned it's never buy land right when you move to a place without really living there. So I got mm -hmm. lucky. I didn't buy the land. I, I later found out the land I wanted to buy was right of possession, meaning it never had papers. It never had any sort of um, title to it. And then after I found out all of that, yeah, you can buy right of possession and there's things you can do to get titles for that. But then I found out it was also in a protected area of the government. So even if I bought it, the government could come just take it away anytime. Wow. So I dodged a bullet with that. Yeah. Big, um, but it's something that I see happen here all the time. People buy property and then they can't get a water permit because they've frozen all new water meters from being issued mm -hmm. in that town. And so I think that was my biggest lesson learned because I dodged that bullet. But then I also, then I've also seen a lot of people make that, you know, make that mistake. And yeah, it was a crazy year. And so we did the communal living thing for a while. It really didn't work. And so from there, when I first moved here, I was living in the middle of pineapple uh, production. So Costa Rica's one of the largest exports is pineapple. Unfortunately, pineapple is one of the most toxic fruits to grow. Uh, the chemicals that they have to use to grow a monoculture product like pineapple that is pretty susceptible to fungi and diseases is deadly. In the town I grew up and the town that I was living, um, my friends who grew up there, most almost all of their fathers had passed away from cancer from using the chemicals when the when the pineapple farms just started coming to Costa Rica without proper masks and everything. They passed away from cancer chemicals. So we were living in the middle of pineapple production. When I say in the middle, I mean, I can show you a satellite drawing. Like our property was a bunch of trees and for thousands of acres, it was just pineapple. 
So what that meant was whenever they were spraying the pineapple, whenever the person was mm-hmm. in the enclosed container spraying the pineapple, all of those chemicals were blowing into our house. Wow. And that was a big motivator for us to get out of that area. The land was gorgeous where we lived. Right. Uh, but that really was not. And so we ended up ending from that area and we lived in a couple of places in Costa Rica after that. What well, our experience just getting outside the comfort zone, right? And, and, and growing as a, as a person, as, as a professional, it's incredible, right? And there's the more rapid. There's also, I don't know why you picked up surfing. You recently did the hundred kilometer over three days. So what drives you, what motivates you to continually for this type of experiences where you're a beginner, right? Where you're on, let's say on an underdog, right? What's worth, where does that come from, right? And what would you recommend to someone looking to get outside their, their comfort zone, but maybe not to that extreme? I think why I do all those things is to figure out what makes me tick. I don't really know. <laughs> Run a hundred miles, maybe I'll learn what makes me tick. But when we're looking at doing things to get out of our comfort zone, I think there's a couple of, I think the main reason why people don't do things out of the comfort zone is fear of what? Fear of unknown mm-hmm. or fear of what happen. And a lot of times the fear of the unknown can manifest in, in many different ways, like fear of failure, fear of oh my gosh, what if this happens? Like worst case scenario fears, but all that fear is fake, right? It can, I mean, it's, it can be real sometimes. If you're in the forest and you see a venomous snake, that's a very real feel, yeah. but a th- it's a threat, right? But all these fears we typically have about getting out of our, under a comfort zone, out of our comfort zones aren't, they're, they're not threats. They're just fears. And so the more we can constantly in, confront that fear, and do that, the easier it's going to be to push through that. So for example, like by doing something that makes us uncomfortable, we're confronting that fear. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big proponent of using travel as a vehicle for change, because I think that when you take yourself out of your everyday environment, put yourself in a a foreign place and maybe even with people you don't know. That's why I love under 30 so much, under 30 experiences, but maybe in a place with people you don't know, you're there as yourself. Like no one there knows, has preconceived stories. They have, they don't know anything about your everyday life. They don't know anything. And you're there just as you. And then you get in that place and you're like, who am I? You know, maybe you don't get, maybe you don't go that deep immediately, but you know, you get in these uncomfortable places. And after doing enough, you start being like, who am I? And then from that of who am I? For me, I think travel enables, enables us to ask that question and then give us space to be like, Maybe I am this person. Like you come to Costa Rica, for example, you've never gotten a surfboard in your life. And you're like, you know, maybe I will try that. You know, I don't know, maybe. And you learn that you're like, oh my gosh, that was so hard, but that was like such an amazing thing. And I want to do it again. Right. But, or I've never surfed before. I, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't, uh, that, that, that's, that's not my thing. That's okay if it's not your thing. It doesn't have to be surfing. A lot of people would not do surfing at all. But whatever that thing is, it's like, these thoughts and these fears just kept you from having a great experience. So if you can even go back and think about the last five times that you were nervous to do something or maybe didn't do it or decided not to do it and had flipped that script and actually done it, the the neurons and the pathways that are paved in the brain just by doing those new experiences are going to make you less likely to have that fear as strongly moving forward. So it's kind of like 
beating down the fear by confronting our fears, by doing things that make us uncomfortable. I love that. And it's, yeah, it's just confront the fear, right? Step into it. And I often regret the things I don't do more than the things I, I did, even if I fail. You'll never know until you try, right? Until you experiment for yourself. Because you can get a, a advice and feedback from other people, but they're not in your shoes, right? They're not there experiencing whatever it is that you're experiencing. Right? I think there's value there. And there always be people, oh, yeah, again, that doesn't fit you. Don't try that. Ultimately, you're the one that has the choice, right? And, and control over, over that. I want to try something with you. I call it the rapid fire closing as, as we head towards our, our wrap up here. And I'll basically ask you a couple of questions and you just give me the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and it's a fun way to wrap up the episode. All right. So rapid fire closing. First question, one book that has greatly influenced your life. I'm going to say The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It's the book I read on the plane ride back from my three months in Costa Rica and eventually is what made me made my decision to move to Costa Rica. That book comes out by that uh, famous one. I know it's um, cliche, but man. It's a good book. I, I read it every year. It's just a great book. So I, no, I, I'm not surprised at all. All right. Second question. One of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Outside of what we already talked about, it could be an experience. It could be a thing, right? I have to say the trip I booked to come to Costa Rica in, in November, 2014, not to go back to that, but that was a gift I gave myself for my birthday. I bought it in May and there's no doubt that single experience. I mean, if I didn't have that, I don't know. I wouldn't be here. I may be here in Costa Rica by some other means, but I wouldn't be here today. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear, especially because I feel like I contributed to that in some way. You know, knowing and that. Well, no, Caesar was one of the guides who were the right? Yeah. On, yeah. yeah, I was. Team journey. So thank you. <laughs> Just knowing that I, I made a positive impact on someone's life. That's everything to me. So that's awesome. All right. Next question. The quote you think of often or that you live your life by? Steve Jobs' speech to Stanford grads. There's a couple parts of that, and I'm getting it. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it, so I'm going to butcher it a little bit. But whew, there's so much there. If I wake up and more than a couple of days in a row and look in the mirror and I realize that I'm doing something that I don't want to be doing, I need to change it. That's one piece of that. The next one is that your work is going to fill a large part of your life. So it's really important to do work that you love. And the last piece of that, I mean, the whole thing is great, but just this coming up right now is that like when you're, when we're confronted with death, there's nothing else to fear. And like, well, he said, like we're already naked. So stop living and I'm butchering this, but stop living your life by other people's, what they think or by their opinions and letting it be shaped by that and really living your life true to yourself. So many great pieces of that speech. I love that. It's a great speech. It's a great so, speech. And actually, I'm going to go listen to it after the recording. Next question. In the last year, uh, one belief or habit that has improved your life? So ultra running. I started in, I, 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 I ran one race in 2019, but this has been the past, like the past year. I've ran ultra, run, I've been ultra running, trail running consistently mm. for 
a little over a year. And the consistency that has gone, because it's consistency over intensity. Mm. And I, that is not me, how I'm wired naturally. So the consistency of putting in things, small things every day to do something really large is the le- is a lesson that ultra running has really driven up. I love that. I'm a big fan of Rick Roll. I, I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, but he's also a big ultra runner and he credits you know, I love this transformation to ultra running. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should try that. <laughs> and last question to wrap it up. Uh, what's one, one takeaway that you want to leave the, the audience with as they embark on their own quest for their own personal transformation? It's a lot easier for us to know what we don't want than what we do want. So I think one of the most important things when we're embarking on Something has to change, or I want to make a big change, or if you already even know what that change is, right? Depending on where you are in that change process, is identifying all the things that you don't want, all the things that are non-negotiables, and be really clear about those. Because in order for us to make big life changes, boundaries are being able to set boundaries to who has access to our mental space and just in our energy is really important. So starting with this is a list of things I don't want. I think that's easier to start. And then think of the things that make you feel really good and make you feel fulfilled. Not so much, I want to be a VP of growth at this company, but what makes you feel fulfilled? Being able to, and I'm being able to, you know, pick up my daughter from school, right? So that, so those things that make you feel fulfilled, those things may not be tangibles, but they can be tangibles because once you know exactly what you don't want, and then you see what makes you feel fulfilled. You can start constructing the transformation you want with those things in mind versus being like, this is what I want to do as far as a transformation. Because I think that linear path is like a lot harder to go down. I love that. And it's a great way to, to close the episode. And for the longest time, I, I resisted the idea of putting those on paper, like things I don't want. But this year I, I give in and I, I have a notebook here that I constantly Revisit it, add to it, uh, but it's been a very, a very powerful practice uh, and just being clear of, no, this is who I am, this is who I am. And uh, yeah, you, you, you're going to go above and beyond to make sure that um, nothing violates those boundaries. So, so definitely, I would encourage you to do that exercise if you haven't, because I think it's transformational. But Maria, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I can't wait to uh, put it out there. And yeah. You know, we'd love to have you on uh, another episode down, down the road to continue this conversation. But for now, thanks so much. Caesar, I enjoyed it. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.